Real hot girl shit. And if the beat live, you know Lil Juke made it. Yaddy, 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 Like a touch me not Madge Weinstein, and this is the last uh, Yeast Radio of the uh, entire year. Uh You know, I wasn't even finished to do this. uh, Another grum, I didn't really feel like it, you know. And I, well, I'm just going to tell you what happened, which is that uh, John Werner, who uh, does... A lot, if not most, if not most, if not all, if not most of the album art for this program. Um, and I do call it a program or a grum. I never call it a pod. It just disgusts me that people call podcasts pods now. That's just gross. I don't know why. It just is. Uh, but John Werner made such a wonderful yet time-sensitive piece of album art. I actually didn't notice it. It was really for Christmas, but I didn't see it until after Christmas. But it's definitely still valid uh, before New Year's. So, honestly, that's why I'm doing the show. Mm. 
I didn't really want to have a guest on because I thought just me and you, audience, for just a little while. And not a long show, I hope. My wife is out at the adult bookstore. Just kidding. No, she's out at the flea market trying to buy, you know, the things for her business that she sells on the thing, you know, and all that sort of thing. And I am here talking to you briefly. I have to make it clear that this is a brief show. I would like, I do have a small agenda. I want to just have a, a quick talk. Nothing too serious. You know, everything's fucked up in the world as usual. Everybody's angry from the news and... You know, and all the politics and the arguing, and um, including me. But you know, I just don't feel like going into it right now because it's just divisive. You know, it's divisive. It's annoying. I'm right, you're wrong. Blah blah blah. That sort of thing. So much saliva I've got. I really don't want to talk about anything. I just want to sort of have this moment of communication between you and I, audience. So what I thought I would do was just babble, and then. Um, I think what would be nice is if, you know, I really love Studs Terkels, um, who was a wonderful author and really a, 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 a great socialist scholar. I don't know what else to call him. And he wrote this wonderful book called Working, which he autographed for me when I was doing some work for, for him. Did I, am I recording you? Yeah. Oh, wait. I gotta. Sometimes I forget how to work this thing, the software I've been using for a hundred and a half years. So old. Oh, there I go back. I'm still recording. You didn't miss nothing, anything, nothing. So, uh, by the way, I opened with Megan the Stallion because I really been. I love that song. I love her. I've been listening to that song all week, and I'm not ashamed. So there you have it. Body yani 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 yani. You want body yani yani yani? What do you look like? Body yani yani with Phil, of course, who must be dead by now. I believe he died on this program, but. That's neither here nor there. I'm not sure what happened to Hangatha, speaking of not dead yet. But um, we were going to do a show last week, but I had the COVID last week. And it wasn't a serious COVID. It was just like COVID light. But I'm not sure if that's because I was quadruply vaccinated or because it was Omicron and Omicron isn't that bad. Hopefully it's the latter. I'm really starting to think that I, I have the feeling, and this is nothing except my lesbian intuition. I don't want you to think I'm scientific because I'm not. You know, I don't have a magic marker and an overhead cam. But I, I just have a feeling that the Omicron is a lighter strain, that it's not as serious, and this is the beginning of our endemic phase, and it's just, it's going to keep getting lighter, like uh, iced tea. And, and, and it's going to be okay. We're going to survive until the next pandemic, which is probably in three months. And then it'll be Ebola, and then we'll all die, and Meryl Streep will be there getting her head bitten off by an octopus. And that was a great film. I can't, I can't say enough about how much I enjoyed the Don't Look Up movie. What a great film that was. You know, I watched it twice. I don't watch movies twice in a row like that. Well, I actually watched it because my, my thus and so, my spouse, fell asleep, as they always do when I scratch their head at night when we're watching a TV program. And they uh, wanted to watch it again. I was happy to watch it, uh, you know, except this time they would stay awake. I had to make sure she stayed awake. And what a great film. You know, it was, of course, they're hitting you overhead with the metaphor of climate change, but it was really well acted. Kind of reminded me of Network, kind of reminded me of Dr. Strangelove. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio gave a great performance where he was, you know, on the news, you know, complaining about how people are just fucking blind, not seeing what's really obvious. And it was just good. But my favorite part, I, I mentioned this in my paper, Grum. And by the way, I do have a paper, Grum now, and that's how I. 
I've decided to fund the podcast at least for the time being so I don't have to charge for this while you're listening, Tarot Audience. And so I have a paper, grumgildermanage.substack.com. It costs, I think, $5 a month, or you can have an annual fee or a super super donor fee. Um, and, um, and then I just do a stream of consciousness every day. I've been spending more time on that than any part of this Grum. It kind of reminds me of when I first started the Grum, and I would just do uh, this kind of talking podcast every day. And right now I've been doing that and writing it, and I like what it's doing. It's giving me some practice writing, and it's, it's fun for me. Uh, but but the, the the thing I like about it, too, I don't know how many people are actually reading this dreck that I write, but it is creating a sort of small, very small, because there's not many people doing it. That's why I need you to join me, madge.substack.com. But, you know, even if you don't like it, it's just a way to fund this show, because I really like, I, I've never charged for my podcast. I've never... Well, I have had advertisers a long time ago when I was with Podshow, but I don't want to do advertisers. I'm not interested in, you know, the, being one of those people that pay walls off their whole podcast. You know, I listen to a lot of shows and they'll be like in the middle of an interview. Well, if you want to hear the rest of this, you got to give us money. And I'm like, yeah, I would pay, but like I'm not going to go through all that trouble. I don't know how to click things. So and then I, you know, and then I, I also can trance. Where was I? But so, I, yeah, I can I can trance. I can spit, I can spin on my vulva and things. What? Um, I've completely lost my train of thought, but my point is just this. Um, you pay me money that way, and I keep the grum free. Oh, yeah, advertising. You know, this is so fucking annoying. I mean, so many shows you have to skip, like, a five-minute ad read at the beginning or whatever, and it's always for the same therapy bullshit. And, you know, and those people are humiliated. Come on, when they have to advertise this crap and pretend... It's just garbage. And so many of the shows are socialist things. And I would just rather avoid that. And I have sacrificed a lot, audience. I mean, come on. I, mean, I, I do this for, for love of it. You know, I make hardly any money of it regardless. So just trust me a little coin. Subscribe to my fucking shit. And it's easier than donating. You still get something back, right? You get an actual item. This is my capitalist endeavor. It's my endeavor. So do which, please. Body yani 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 yani. You think I'd have more to talk about, but I I don't want to talk about the world. I don't want to talk about the politics. I don't want to talk about all my farts. You know, I had beets. Beets make my duty red colored, and I like that about beets. And I had a lot of beets today too. And I'm going to be shitting a big round beet duty tomorrow too. Is my prediction. And tomorrow's New Year's Eve, and I'm going out to dinner. I already got the COVID, so I don't care. Um, when else? Ooh, ooh, I also can trance. Nothing, really. Nothing at all. So I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to make my lips move, and I don't know what's going to come out of them. Probably nothing useful. So maybe the papergram is going to help me riff here. I don't know. But I've always riffed here, and that's how I started doing the paper grub. But there's always this fear that I get, you know, this. Even when I was walking back here from the Intelligentsia Kurfi shop, I was thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? By the way, Medea was on that grum, too, the, uh, the, the Don't Look Ups, and very good. Looked just like that fake black person they have on uh, the Gail King show in the morning, how they all have to be happy and peppy and all that. Did I fucking... Oh, I gotta, I gotta turn on my mouse shaker. Uh, wait, hold on. I don't like the screen to go blank. I've noticed on this Ableton that I use, I put it into Zen mode. <clears throat> Zen mode. That um, 
like when I'm talking to another person or if I'm rec- really if I'm recording vinyl and it goes in the screensaver mode, it gets glitchy. It's mainly to have a glitch. So I don't want no glitches at anyone. I don't want the glitches or any sort of that thing, you know. Um, so anyway, what else? I also can trance. I'm fat. I'm obese. It's all I say in my papergram mostly is that I'm fat, which is fine because I am. And in fact, I, oh, this is a papergram story, but I'll tell you. But I ordered a, uh, you know, my my spouse is always trying to get me to buy stuff because they've been talking. For, I say this fucking they pronoun. I don't know why I decided to do that. Um, but they decided that it's a good idea to stock up on shit since everything's getting more expensive and China, China and all that. And they've been saying this for over a year now. And I always was rolling my eyes like, oh yeah, it's not, but the inflation has gotten out of control and it's hard to find stuff. So, okay. So I'm like, okay, let's buy stuff, right? Let's buy things. So we bought some shirts. Well, I bought a shirt and it said this shirt, long sleeve cotton shirt, 100% cotton, which is becoming oddly harder and harder to find these days. And I bought a cotton shirt and it said in the notice when you buy it, it said buy an extra a size larger because these run small. So I'm normally XL, which is embarrassing enough that I'm so fat I need an XL. I had to order a 2XL audience, a 2XL. Um, and that's huge. I've never had to buy 2XL in my life. I thought, oh, I'm so fat. So I get the 2XL, and would you believe it was too small? So I had to return it and get a 3XL, which is their largest size, and I finally got it today, and it fit. So I am massively obese, so please don't be one of those people that says, oh, Madge, you're not that fat. Really? 3XL isn't fat? Then how big are you, right? How big are you if 3XL isn't fat? Jesus Christ. Uh, body, yanni, 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 fat. So, I don't know. I, I just I just don't know what else. Um, planning travel, but I don't want to talk about that because I don't want people to know. I the way I just told you. Uh, work is horrible. I hate working. It's awful. I can't believe I still have to work at this age. I thought for sure I'd be rich, famous, and retired by now. Um, but my life is a failure. You know, and I was talking about this the other day, too, but like, I was listening to Ray Dalio on the Lex Friedman podcast, the episode before he unfortunately interviewed Elon Musk, which was a horrible interview. I love Lex Friedman, but I love when he interviews these crazy intellectuals talking about AI and, you know, and these ideas about string theory and crazy wild shit and drugs. But then he fucking interviews Elon Musk, who is smart, but he wasn't sticking to the stuff he's really cuckoo smart about, just talking about like cryptocurrencies and his views on that, which are a mess. So he likes, he's like, oh, I really think Dogecoin, I know Dogecoin was started as a joke, but it's really pretty cool. No, it's a fucking joke. You don't take it seriously. That's like having Donald Trump as president. You don't do it. It's just a joke, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Grampy number one or Grampy number two? Anyway, so I forgot again. Where was I? But, you know, Bonnie, yani, 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 yani. I don't even want to talk. I mean, I do, but I don't. Am I boring you? Am I? Am I? But so, whenever I was paper grumming, I was talking about that. I've been watching. I don't want to talk about that either. You ever see somebody on a TV show and you're like, oh my God, I know that person? And it was like somebody in the background is an extra. I'm not going to give away more information than that, but it was a shocker. It was a shocker. I was like, and then I, I texted that person. I'm like, did I just see you on that show? They're like, yeah, that was a while ago. And it was weird. It was weird. 
So what can I say, audience? I just want a nap. I really do. I want a nap. But I don't want to worry. Oh, yeah, I know what I was talking about. Ray Dalio. So Ray Dalio is some cringe fund investors. I'm, I know I'm late with cringe, but I think it's a great word because everything is cringe. Cringe watching is the new hate watching for me. That Sex in the City show is the worst piece of garbage I've ever seen. I mean, every minute, minute of it is cringe. With the, It's just weird how now they cast now. You can tell because you have to have all of the sexual and other minorities in the show. So what they do is to save money, they put all of the minorities into one character. So they have an overweight check Lesbian, check. Also non-binary, check. Latino, check. Asian, check. White, check. And black, all in one person. And podcaster, right? And it's just so cringe. And it's like, oh, let's talk about sex really graphically. Woo. Okay. That's new. And a podcast. And then, like, she's playing her sound clips. Or they, they're playing their sound clips. And it's like, oh, I can't even talk about it. The show is fucking awful. It's just awful it's just so bad it's just so bad. why am i watching it good question a really good question the best show one of my favorite shows this year was we're here and not all the episodes were good but some like the ones from evansville and the one from evansville indiana was probably my favorite in fact i lived there for a short time when madonna was there and she said i'm gonna leave when she was filming a league of their own she said i'm gonna leave and i said oh, you know what Sounds like a good... No, she said, I'm going to leave this town. I'm never coming back to Evansville, Indiana. I said, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. And that's when I moved to Chicago. In like 1991, I think. Something like that. Fuck this place. But that's a great show. I mean, it's not every time. It's hit or miss. You know, sometimes they go to a city. It's these three drag queens, a RuPaul alumnus. But it's not a RuPaul show. It's not staged and overproduced. It's well done. It's documentary style, kind of film style. Um with excellent production values and you should watch it. And so that was one of my favorite shows of the year, Succession and then Curb Your Enthusiasm. My God, what a great show. But I feel like I'm starting to bore myself so I'm not going to talk that long. I wanted to say um, that my New Year's resolution is going to uh, be to, um, yeah, you say the word cringe more often. So that should hopefully be good. Also, um, I want to know what your New Year's resolutions are, audience. So please comment here on the yeastradio.com blog. Um, and then, um, I can't believe how long I've been doing this show, you know. It's been since November of 2004. And if I had math, I think that's six, 17 years I've been doing this. And I am so humble about it. I never give myself credit and you know what? Very few people do. And I'm just, you know, my, my nephew said he's starting a podcast and he doesn't even want any advice from me about it. I'm, a, I'm like offering to help. He's like, uh, I, and he just said, oh no, I'm going to do it at the studio at school. And I'm thinking, I'm like one of the first people that podcast. I'm a pioneer in this shit, right? And my own nephew doesn't even give a shit, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm, what's going to happen with my intellectual property when I uh, die. I don't know what's going to happen all this shit. Nobody gives a fuck. Isn't it sad that you can live like this? I feel like, you know, I I don't know. I hope people appreciate it at least after I die. But what's the fucking difference, you know? What does that matter? But I really, to be honest, you know, I don't, I've always tried to be humble about my art. But it is that. And I, I do feel like someday people will figure out that what I've left behind is a very interesting record of the times I lived in. 
And that's really all I've ever wanted to do, I guess, is reflect that and also have fun and get through this life. Now, I'm going to read something from working. Now, I only got the, I couldn't find my physical copy of the book with my autograph of Studs Terkel because I followed him around with a camera a few times and did some work with him. Um, but I did download the free sample on Kindle because, you know, capitalism, blah, blah, blah. Even though I own the book on paper, it doesn't allow me to own, I'd have to buy it again to get the digital. Anyway, so this is, I can only select from the free samples, but this is, um, this is, a chapter called Communications, and it's a story about, it's an interview with a receptionist named Sharon Atkins. So I want to just explain what working is, and I hope I don't stumble over my words. I hope, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to like do this audiobook style and read this professionally. If I fuck up, I fuck up. I'm going to move on. Um, but working is basically, what Studs did is he interviewed ordinary working people. And and then he interviewed them, he recorded them, the tapes are available somewhere, and then he told the story in his words. In their in their words, but in just kind of made it cleaned it up a bit, I suppose. And it just created this wonderful uh, story about ordinary working people, and I just love it. And um just feels appropriate right now. Never done this, but I'm gonna read this. So this is the the header for the communication section starts, in a coming of age, communications has become an end in itself. We are all wired for sound. Okay. Um, Sharon Atkins, um, the description is, a receptionist at a large business establishment in the Midwest. She's 24. Her husband is a student. I was out of college, an English lit major. I looked around for copywriting jobs. The people they wanted had majored in journalism. Okay, the first myth that blew up in my face is that a college education will get you a job. Okay, that was a quote. Now we start the the story. I changed my opinion of receptionists because I am one now. I wasn't the dumb broad at the front desk who took telephone messages. She had to be something else because I thought I was something else. I was fine until there was a press party. We were having a fairly intelligent conversation. Then they asked me what I did. When I told them, they turned around to find other people with name tags I wasn't worth bothering with. I wasn't being rejected because of what I had said or the way I talked, but simply because of my function. After that, I tried to make up for, make up other names for what I did. Communications control, servo mechanism, laughs. I don't think they'd ever hire a male receptionist. They'd have to pay him more for one thing. You can't pay someone who does what I do very much. It isn't economically feasible. Your laughs. They're, you're just there to filter people and filter telephone calls. You're there to handle the equipment. You're treated like a piece of equipment, like the telephone. You come in at nine, you open the door, you look at the piece of machinery, you plug in the headpiece. That's how my day begins. You tremble when you hear the first ring. After that... It's sort of downhill, unless there's somebody on the phone who is either kind or nasty. The rest of the people are just non. They, they don't exist. They're just voices. You answer calls, you connect them to others, and that's it. I don't have much contact with people. You can't see them. You don't know if they're laughing, if they're being satirical or being kind, so your conversations become very abrupt. I noticed that in talking to people, my conversations would be very short and clipped, in short sentences, the way I talk to people all day on the telephone. I never answer the phone at home. It carries over. The way I talk to people on the phone has changed. Even when my mother calls, I don't talk to her for very long. I want to see people talk to them. But now, I want to see people to talk to them. But now, when I see them, 
I talk to them like I was talking on the telephone. It isn't a conscious process. I don't know what's happened. When I'm talking to someone at work, the telephone rings and the conversation is interrupted. So I never bother finishing sentences or finishing thoughts. I always have this feeling of interruption. You can think about this thing and all of a sudden the telephone rings and you've got to jump right back. There isn't a 10 minute break in the whole day that's quiet. I once worked at a punch press when I was in high school, a part-time job. You sat there and watched it for four or five hours. You could make up stories about people and finish them. But you can't do that when you've got only a few minutes. You can't pick it up after the telephone call. You can't think, you can't even finish a letter. So you do quickie things like read a chapter and a short story. It has to be short-term stuff. I notice people have asked me to slow down when I'm talking. What I do all day is to say what I have what I have to say so quickly as possible and switch the call to whatever it's going to. If I'm talking to a friend, I have to make it quick before I get interrupted. You try to fill up your time with trying to think about other things, what you're going to do on the weekend or about your family. You have to use your imagination. If you don't have a very good one and you bore easily, you're in trouble. Just to fill in time, I write bad poetry or letters to myself and to other people and I never mail them. The letters are fantasies, sort of rambling, how I feel, how depressed I am. I do drawings, Mondrian, sort of, peaceful colors of red and blue, very ordered life. I would like to think of rainbows and mountains. I never draw humans, things of nature, never people. I always dream I'm alone and things are quiet. I call it the land of no phone, where there isn't any machine telling me where I have to be every minute. The machine dictates, this crummy little machine with buttons on it. You've got to be there to answer it. You can walk away from it and pretend you don't hear it, but it pulls you. You know you're not doing anything, not doing a hell of a lot for anyone. Your job doesn't mean anything because you're just a little machine. A monkey could do what I do. It's really unfair to ask someone to do that. Do you have to lie sometimes? Oh, sure. I have to lie for other people. That's another thing. Having to make up stories for them if they don't want to talk to someone on the telephone. At first, I'd feel embarrassed and feel that they knew I was lying. There was a sense of emptiness. There'd be silence and I'd feel guilty. At first, I tried to think of a euphemism for he's not here. It really bothered me and then I got tired of it, of doing it. So I just say, he's not here. You're not looking at the person. You're talking to him over the instrument. So after a while, it doesn't really matter. The first time it was live, the person was there. I'm sure I blushed. He probably knew I was lying. And I think he understood I was just the instrument, not the source. Until recently, I'd cry in the morning. I didn't want to get up. I dread Fridays because Monday was always looming over me. Another five days ahead of me. There never seemed to be an end to it. Why am I doing this? Yet I dread looking for other jobs. I don't like filling out forms and taking typing tests. I remember on applications I'd put down, I like to deal with the public, laughs. Well, I don't want to deal with the public anymore. I take the bus to work. That was my big decision. I had to go to work and do what everyone else told me to do, but I could decide whether to take the bus or the L. To me, that was a big choice. These are the only kinds of decisions you make, and they become very important to you. Very few people talk on the bus going home, sort of sit there and look dejected, stare out the window, pull out their newspaper, or push other people. You feel tense until the bus empties out or you get home, because things happen to you all day long, things you couldn't get rid of. So they build up, and everybody is feeding them into each other on the bus. There didn't seem to be any kind of relief about going home. It was, boy, did I have a lot of garbage to put up with. One minute is 
One minute to five is the moment of triumph. You physically turn off the machine that is dictated to you all day long. You put it in a drawer and that's it. You're your own man for a few hours. Then it calls to you every morning that you have to come back. I don't know what I'd like to do. That's what hurts the most. That's why I can't quit the job. I really don't know what talents I have. And I don't know where to go to find out. I've been fostered so long by school and didn't have time to think about it. My father's in watch repair. That always interested me, working with my hands and independent. I don't think I'd mind going back and learning something, taking a piece of furniture and refinishing it. The type of thing where you know what you're doing and you can create and you can fix something to make it function. And at the switchboard, you don't think of much of anything. You don't do much of anything. I think the whole idea of receptionists is going to change. We're going to have to find machines which can do that sort of thing. You're wasting an awful lot of human power. I'll be at home and the telephone will ring and I get nervous. It reminds me of the telephone at work. It becomes like Pavlov's bell. It made the dog salivate. It made me nervous. The machine invades me all day. I go home and it's still there. It's a very bad way to talk to people, to communicate. It may have been a boon to business, but it did a lot to wreck conversation. Well, I can relate to that a lot. You know, obviously the job of the receptionist hasn't has changed quite a bit, but the sentiment, I think, is there for me as well. Um, That's great. Studs Terkel working. I recommend that book. And audience, I'm going to go. This is the end of the year for whatever that's worth, but I want to play side two of this wonderful uh, 1967 or 68 or 69 album uh, with some fake interviews. I played the other side the other day. Uh, what is it? Let me see. <laughs> it's Lyndon Johnson's Lonely Hearts Club Band, I think. Something like that. Anyway, have a good year. I hope um, I hope everything goes well for you. Oh, I didn't turn it on. Motherfuck Christ. Shit, Cox. Is that on? Hold on, I gotta do this again. Sorry. I almost transitioned that so well and I fucking didn't turn it on. Oh well. Anyway, thank you for supporting my show. And remember to subscribe to my Substack, madge.substack.com. Yay! Yay. Here I am. Okay, I'm gonna push. I'm gonna do it now. Okay, here we go. Here we go, bye. Here we go. Come on. Talk. Mr. Vice President, it is a pleasure for us to welcome you to our microphones. I wonder why. (laughs) Well, you are still Vice President, aren't you? As of this hour. (laughs) Sir, would you tell us uh, why you follow each word of your script there by running your finger along under it? That's the way I read. May we ask you a question concerning official protocol? Now in a motorcade, the president rides in the second car. Where do you ride? In the bus. You know, everybody criticizes politicians. Excuse my phraseology, but do many people tell you and the president to get lost? We receive from 125 to 175 invitations a day.
During the course of the average day, what does the president do? Make a burglar look like a social worker. With the trials of Adam Clayton Powell and Senator Dodd, many congressmen have become spotlighted for the taking of graft and for theft. Uh, does LBJ condone this kind of behavior? He was the pioneer in this effort. <laughs> pardon, us, uh, pardon us for asking, but does dull, boring talk come easy to you? I used to teach it. So you impress us in every way as being the average man. How many children do you have? 3.2. You work side by side with LBJ seven days a week. Uh, do you have any pet names for him? The peasant and the farmer. Some of your critics uh, have said you don't know the right time of day. Now, when the little hand is on the three and the, and the big hand is on the nine, what time is it? Five to one. The president recently caused a furor showing his operation on television. Was there anything in particular that bothered you about this? The strings and the sinews and the arteries and the veins and the tendons and the ligaments. <laughs> LBJ seems to have a will of iron. Uh, how long do you think he intends to stay president? For about a thousand years. <laughs> uh, may we ask you a few more questions, sir? Push your luck. <laughs> you seemed a little bit nervous at the beginning, Mr. Vice President, but you seem more at ease now. Do you think the interview is going better now? Yes, much improved, much, much better. I think that we're doing much better. I understand your son is being bar mitzvahed next week, and you've invited the Pope. I don't want to leave my friend Paul out of this. <laughs> well, we don't think this has been the most scintillating interview, but thanks for letting us talk with you anyhow. So I struck out. <laughs> Just, just one final question, sir. What was it you said at the last cabinet meeting that caused such a tremendous laugh? I am the vice president. It is our pleasure once again to welcome the first lady of our land back to our microphone. You may be very gratified to hear that there are actually some people who think your husband is doing a marvelous job. How perfectly amazing. <laughs> what qualities do you feel Lyndon has that make him a good president? None whatsoever. <laughs> uh, we 
we'd like to compliment you on the lovely brooch you're wearing. Aren't those Linden's gallstones that are set into it in platinum? I like to think I own something that belonged to him. <laughs> We know that uh, your husband has been trying to avoid an all-out war at all costs. What is it about war that bothers your husband the most? The constant uh, rat-a-tat-tat. <laughs> a neon sign is going up on the White House lawn. I don't recall seeing anything like that before. Could you tell us what it will say? The Johnsons. Uh, getting to personalities for just a moment, we hear a lot of talk about your husband and the Kennedys. Does he really hate them the way we hear he does? Oh, yes. <laughs> Could you recall what Lyndon said the first time he saw George Hamilton in the White House? We may not want to use that. <laughs> and we understand there's a very important charity drive about to take place in Washington. Have you decided what you're going to donate? I'd like to uh, give my husband... <laughs> President Nasser recently visited the White House. What did you say when you served him that chicken soup with matzo balls in it? Enjoy, enjoy. <laughs> Can you sum up uh, Richard Nixon for us in one word? Square. <laughs> Lady Bird, thank you very much for being with us again this evening. That concludes our interview. You might be happy to learn that it's all over now. Oh, goody, 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 goody. goody. <laughs> we would like to welcome to our microphones the last Republican vice president, and a leading candidate for the Republican nomination in 1968. You're known to be a very modest man. Just how would you characterize yourself? The best vice president that the country had ever had. <laughs> it's no secret that you've irritated the president by speaking out against him so often, to a point where LBJ says, you should keep your mouth shut, even in your own living room. I'm going to speak up. I don't care what Lyndon Johnson says. <laughs> On the other hand, in calmer moments, LBJ has said that you are a great friend and a fine politician. He isn't going to get away with that with me. <laughs> You've reached a point in your career where you might stop and take stock. Exactly what have you spent most of your political life trying to discover? What President Eisenhower's been talking about. <laughs> We were speaking of Eisenhower. How many hairs does he have left on his head? Uh, I would say two. <laughs> You've been in politics all your life. 
Now, when you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, what's the first thing you think? I'm just not going to do. <laughs> Incidentally, why do we always see you at the corner phone booth on 42nd Street and Madison Avenue? I have no office. <laughs> You were seen in the operating room when LBJ was undergoing surgery. What was it you said to the doctor? Cut and run. <laughs> we understand you do a marvelous impression of General Eisenhower. Would you care to do some of it for us here tonight? Uh, let me point this out. But I believe this. I would say this. What I am saying is this. Let me point this out. Now, let me make it absolutely clear. Now, how did this come about? Now, let me say this. I say... You're a history buff. Is it your opinion that the Battle of Gettysburg won the Civil War for the North? It is a little too early to tell. <laughs> You've been to a barbecue at the LBJ Ranch. Uh, what do LBJ and Lady Bird eat with? Their noses in the trough. <laughs> Sir, we'd like to thank you for being here with us tonight. You are Barry Goldwater, are you not? Unfortunately. <laughs> Would you give us your personal view of the 1964 presidential election? I figure we lost. <laughs> do you think you were the most incompetent man to ever run for the presidency? Yes, I do, frankly. <laughs> Incidentally, uh, what did you think of World War II, Senator? Well, I wouldn't want to pass any judgment till I have time to uh, read more about it. And you have no opinion, sir? I only found out about it as I came in the studio. Who has the Republican Party chosen to jump nude out of the cake at the Republican convention next year, sir? As of the moment, as of right now, I think the party's choice would be Dick Nixon. <laughs> sir, you're uptight in Washington circles. What are Humphrey and Lady Bird to the president? Two pretty good strikes against him. <laughs> Speaking of Vice President Humphrey, during his recent tour of Europe, did he, in your opinion, alienate any of our allies? Seven countries in seven days. Staying with personalities in the news, can you tell us where the next meeting of the Richard Nixon fan club will be held? In a telephone booth. <laughs> One final question. When LBJ is swimming in the White House pool and the stopper breaks, what happens? I think uh, Hubert is used. <laughs> Thank you and good night.
And they they ain't full of BM. 